0: what's up everybody welcome to the 180 with eric lockley i'm your host eric lockley there are moments in life that define us that lead us to a crossroads where we can keep going down the same path or we can choose something different join me as we dive into our guest's turning points let's laugh heal and be inspired together as we pull back the curtain on how our guest made the 180
1: sometimes life gets hard when you're on your journey Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around The 180, yes it's a big change The 180, your life won't be the same The 180, you can do it Say yes to your beautiful future The 180, yeah I know, that's that's really
2: great, that's, that's great, you went into the studio, do you have a whole album?
0: No, I don't have a whole album, I don't have a whole <laughs> just album, have. I just have this theme song, I said, you know, I, I loved 90s sitcoms, and so I wanted my, mm-hmm. my podcast theme song to feel like that, so.
2: It's solid. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It is solid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're here already, but I've got Wayatu Moore in the house, author, writer, Incredible social, social entrepreneur, which I saw that and I was like, oh, social entrepreneur, I love that term.
2: Like, what is that? <laughs> right, <laughs>
0: right. Um, but I'm going to tell you more formally a little bit about Wayetu. Wayetu Moore is a Liberian American author and writer who, in addition to her novel and memoir, has had her work appear in the New York Times and the Atlantic Magazine, among other publications. In 2019, Moore received the notable Lannan Literary Fellowship for Fiction. Her first novel, She Would Be King, was named a Best Book of 2018 by Publishers Weekly, Booklist, Entertainment Weekly, and BuzzFeed, and was a selection for the Sarah Jessica Parker Book Club. Moore's second book, The Dragons, The Giant, The Women, is a memoir about her experience growing up during the first Liberian Civil War. The book was a 2020 New York Times Notable Book and named one of the Best Nonfiction Books of 2020 by Time Magazine and Publishers Weekly, in addition to being a finalist for the National Books Critics Circle Award. She also founded the nonprofit organization One More Book with her siblings, which works to create and distribute books for underrepresented children and develop curriculum in countries with low literacy rates. Moore has been featured in The Economist magazine, NPR, and Vogue magazine, among others, for her work in advocacy for diverse children's literature. We're so thrilled to have Wayatu Moore here with us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> How are you today? Hi, friend. Hey. I'm okay. okay. I am okay. I, River, who's my daughter, my new daughter.
0: Yes, I know. She's less than one month, right? She's months old.
2: She's, yes, she's four months. She's wow. going to be five months on the 20th, so in five days. Oh, wow. And I just started sleep training her. Mm. And the last two nights, she has slept like so generally her bedtime is about seven eight Mm o'clock and she'll wake up every two and a half hours to eat and so we decided you know what we're going to sleep train her sleep training is actually kind of cruel because you essentially have to lay a baby down Mm -hmm. and then wait for them to fall asleep and so they fuss and they cry and you can't go in you go in like every five ten minutes just like pat them say i love you just to give them assurance but you can't pick them up and so the first night, she cried for about ten, fifteen minutes, maybe ten minutes. Let me not. Maybe 10 <laughs> for about a half hour, right? You don't want it to start. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, people do that. Really? So she she cried for about 50, yeah, she cried for about ten minutes, and then she just fell asleep. It's called crying the cry it out method, mm-hmm. and there's actually like a scientific term for it as well. And then after that, she was fine. So she slept from seven to midnight. And then I woke up, gave her a feed, and then midnight to five A.M. That is impressive. So I say that to say I generally am exhausted and need rest, but today I feel energized and good and ready to talk to you because I've had I've had sleep. Even though last night she was a bit resistant before like the eight, nine o'clock period. Mm But
0: yeah. So the
2: sleep training is working. Here we are. Here
0: we are. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. And oh, please give River a little hug for me. I will. Oh, Oh, I will. She's so sweet. Yes. And I love the name River. I mean, for so many reasons. But yeah, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. So we're going to play. It's a good thing that you're well rested because we're going to play a little game.
1: It's game time on the 180. The name of the game is...
0: A book is a book by any other name. (laughs) intrigue right so what we're gonna do is there are these are titles of Mm -hmm. books by african and african-american female authors and instead of you know the book being the actual title that we all know and love Mm -hmm. i've used a thesaurus to find other words for the titles of the books so we're gonna try the first one and see if you catch on and if not I'll yeah, I'll just tell you what it is. But I think I think you got this. You got this, and you will win a the 180 mug because you're so genius. And
2: oh, and I love tea.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, you we have a a mug with my name on it, but okay. for you. <laughs> so the first one is that group's gaze was fixed on Yahweh. Do you know their what eyes things? are watching God. Yes.
2: yes. <laughs> wow, but that was easy? Got that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, they all might be that easy. Okay. You know. okay. Number two, I'm aware of the reason the restrained fowl serenades.
2: I know why the cage bird sings.
0: <laughs> that, that's correct. That is correct. Okay. Um, all right. I'm gonna try to. <laughs> They're all so easy. Okay. This one. Is a one-word title...
2: Beloved. <laughs>
0: no, see? You get on my nerves. Yes, that is right. Yes, what, what how was, did you do what,
2: that? What was the source word? <laughs>
0: that means I made it so easy.
2: No, what, what, was, the, what was the word that you chose?
0: So, so I had options. I was going to say, dear one.
2: Yeah.
0: And I think well, you would have got it. No, okay, if I was I, just
2: thinking of one-word one word right. titles
0: right i mean i had options so dear one was an option love of my life was an option and mm. then treasure was an option I, that all to lead you to beloved but you yeah. all i had to say was one word mm-hmm. okay I, I, i'm not even i'm not going to give you a clue because you're getting them so quickly um here's the next one considering tinted cheese that weighed self-destruction although a curved prism was sufficient.
1: Um,
2: for color girls who considered suicide when the rainbow wasn't enough?
0: No, that is correct. That is correct. <laughs> this is, <laughs> but this was, this is very fun. I'm sure the listeners are like, these are creative titles and they are. Um,
2: <laughs> I, I think they're creative.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, legend pertaining to the laborer. Hmm.
2: Legend pertaining to the laborer.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yes I finally got one that she didn't know right away
2: Legend pertaining To the laborer
0: Yeah it's it's a little tricky but hmm. If I give you Do you want a clue?
2: Give me a clue
0: Okay it might make it too obvious But it's, I, it's one of your Favorite writers Who uh, Oh gosh Afrofuturism
1: Oh
2: the parable of the sower Yes
0: <laughs> Yes <Yeah. laughs> Oh no, no! I didn't that Press the wrong button, but that's fine. I
2: mean, it's both of it. It's both of them because I didn't right, like, right, exactly. Immediately that's true. get it. I didn't immediately yeah. get it. I did need a clue.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Here's here's the next one. Actively delaying the breath out. Waiting to exhale. <laughs> yes, correct. So. I was I was really impressed with my with myself for that one. Okay. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Okay, there's two more. Two more. Okay. A passion pertaining to stars other than this one. And this is more contemporary, just in case that's helpful.
2: A passion pertaining to stars
0: other than this one. Uh, The last name of the author is Wilkerson.
2: A passion pertaining to stars other than this one. Um. Oh, um.
0: And stars is a is it's not it is a star but it is our most precious star closest to the earth
1: Mm.
2: Ashens pertaining to stars other than this one i think that's i think i don't know if i know that one
0: okay okay well hopefully okay i'm i'm happy that i at least got you on Wait, why don't, that's so sad that I have delight to press that <laughs> button. Okay. Um, so it's the warmth of other suns. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So th- this is the last one, which you, I feel like you're going to get because it was so connected to the other one. But 50-50 with regard to a golden star.
2: Half of a yellow sun?
0: Correct. <laughs> yes. Yes, you got it. And um, this, is a, just, this is just a bonus. I decided to do this, which I'm sure you're going to figure out. This cis female here might perchance inhabit the crowned one.
2: This cis female here might inhabit the crowned one.
0: Yeah. Clue. You have, you have a very specific relationship to this, this title. She would be king?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: That is correct. Yeah, it's, it's, it's your book. That is so funny. Yeah.
2: That is so funny. Because I was well, like, wait. I th- what? <laughs> like, what? What, this what?
0: Female. This what kind female? of title? <laughs> right. And, and it's mine. <laughs> it's yours. It's yeah. yours. Well, you did a wonderful job.
2: Thank you.
0: We're going to give you a round of applause.
2: Yeah, and you'll get a mug. I'll get a mug. good. Because I was like, I, I need a new tea mug.
0: Oh yes, we'll we'll get you a good mug. good. <laughs> well, I, so I'm playing.
2: wondering whether or not. Okay, yes, that was a lot of fun. Um,
0: good good. I'm glad. I had a lot of fun creating it and coming up with these silly titles. <laughs> that was a
2: lot of fun, actually. You could like make a, a whole trivia, right? Out of you really could. Yeah, that's that's that makes for a good time.
0: Yeah, and and I'm sure there's some uh, novels and pieces that people didn't know about, maybe, and they can research them and find out about these books.
2: The Warmth of Other Suns. You know, I didn't read that.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I read I,
2: Cast, but I haven't read The Warmth of Other the Suns. The Warmth of yet. Other Suns. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The, I mean, there's so many beautiful tell, stories out there, obviously, but mm-hmm. the, uh, I feel like within the last 15 to 20 years, there's so many people really engaging with history in a different way and engaging yeah. with how we are telling contemporary stories but looking at them historically yeah it's
2: required it's necessary because i think a lot of people are realizing that what we were taught was ahistorical, Mm -hmm. right we were all indoctrinated to be mis mis miseducated about ourselves about our cultures and so i think right now the wave toward writing about history is a form of resistance just like saying Mm -hmm. okay let's reimagine it or let's let's set the history straight and and so I, I agree. I've I actually really enjoyed reading um, books around history and nonfiction books over the past couple years.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to ask you some questions that are just like continuing to get to know you a bit. If you can have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be?
2: Mm, just like my daughter's hugs. Oh, I just love her so much. <laughs> I do I mean, and th- that's the thing nobody nobody like people will tell you oh you're gonna you're gonna you'll have this child and then you'll you'll love them and it's indescribable, and I think I always looked at it as like, you like you sweet like, I know, sweet. Were. I, know. Yeah. I know like i I was like, not, come on, not everyone feels this way uh-huh. and then I had a daughter of my own, and i and i I get it. I get yeah. it, yeah, and it also could just be because she's still so new. Mm. But I am pretty obsessed, pretty obsessed. Yeah, so just that. anything to do with her—if if I could just have that endlessly, that, that would be wonderful. Just Aww. so wonderful, because I—I from what I hear, at some point in about thirteen years, she's gonna hate me.
1: Uh,
2: so, <laughs> so if we could just sustain like the relationship Wait. we have
1: now, it'd be great.
0: Oh, I love it. Um, if you could eliminate one thing from your daily routine, what would it be and why? And mm. that's a hard question. I thought about that. Like,
2: Commutes. Oh. It'd be great oh, to, t- to like tele- teleport.
0: That's good. You just a like snap your
2: point. finger and then you right. you're where you need to be.
0: Oh, I would love that. Somebody work on that.
2: Mm-hmm. Message.
0: Yeah, somebody <laughs> out there listening, work on the teleportation device. Yeah. That's-
2: these, let me tell you, these sound effects. You better go ahead, Eric. This is good. This is fun. Fun time. These sound Thank effects, are everything.
0: Yeah, I have fun with them every, every time. It's, okay. it's a lot of fun. Okay, cool. Would you rather be an Olympic gold medalist or an astronaut? An it's kind astronaut, of right now.
2: An astronaut. Yeah. Come
0: on. Yes.
2: An Olympic gold I'm like- medalist, like. <laughs>
0: Right, I don't just need a medal. I'll I wanna see the view of the earth from, you know, space. Yo. Yeah.
2: An astronaut. Like a like undoubtedly a thousand percent. You know, I actually I had a, a conversation with someone the other day about this. I think I would actually risk my life to to go out of space. Yeah. Yeah. In sp- out in space. Right, right. I do. I think that's something that I would do. I'd be interested in doing.
0: Yeah. No, I'm so interested in outer space as well. It's scary, but yeah. It, then yeah have you all do you feel like you've always been ahead of this interest because oh you yeah. just said i'd be willing would, to I, risk I my feel... life like this was not a <laughs> this is <laughs> no. like a very
2: so i'm saying calculating you know, like, statement. there are there's a high probability that every time a spaceship launches it'll explode so risk my right. life in that way by getting yeah, in yeah, the yeah. spaceship and taking right. that chance to either explode or to see the universe, I think. I think <laughs> yeah, I think I would. I think I would.
0: As yeah. a person that thrives off of adventure, I think I would too. I, yeah. I it's still like. I'm still a little like my my voice becomes a little hype. I think I would because it's a little. I'm think still yeah. thinking about yeah. it. i still think but, about it, but the thoughts are like leaning in that direction. Right. So, you lived in Liberia until you were five. Yes. Now, people have so many false ideas about African countries and what people's experiences were. What is one of your fondest memories growing up in Liberia?
2: Well, not growing up, because I grew up in Texas, but the first Mm -hmm. five years, I guess, my introduction to life in Liberia, (laughs) um, one of my fondest memories would have to be Christmas. Christmas. So I remember, so um, Santa Claus or like Daddy Claus, what we called it there, I remember the first two years actually, Actually, I can remember as far back as when I was four years old and Santa Claus there, rather than coming and give gifts, there's a man who's dressed up like Santa Claus, the entire red outfit and he goes from house to house and like dances and does tricks and you give him gifts. Wow. Yeah. And so I remember Sandy Claus and how excited I was when he came to visit our home, and I also remember how doubly excited I became when i when I moved to the u s and realized that, oh, he's given us gifts here,
0: <laughs> <laughs> like this country's
2: fantastic you know i was I was elated <laughs> that it was switched it right. was switched around, yeah,
0: wow, I love that though I mean. I I never knew that. So what would happen is he would he would come around, and you would have you would be responsible to give him gifts, and he would do yeah. He it's would usually be like, like Christmas
2: from my memory. It's Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve. You would I you see. open your door, and it's always nighttime, and there's a, there are a lot of parties going on, and so it's just a festive time, things going on yeah. outside, and you generally hear you'll hear like music playing. He has like the boombox, so he's playing insert your uh-huh. latest American R and B or hip hop song or like their <laughs> more traditional forms of like drumming mm. and he's he comes with the griot devil um the geo geo devil rather and um mm. they just dance in front of the house and then afterward you give money you tip
0: yeah essentially yeah, yeah. wow that's you know the more you know
2: the more you know
0: yeah, I certainly didn't know that. You know,
2: my favorite one of that is Al Roker's. Have you seen the Al Roker one? Yeah.
0: No, what? I don't know. I think he's. I mean, he's always a little Al awkward. Roker's what does great. he say? And
2: he, well, his his version. He's like the more you know.
0: He sings oh, it. He
2: sings it. Why? It's classic. It's actually quite beautiful because you see him generally not caring at all how he sounds. You know what right. I mean? And it's Aww. it's just so great. He's he's it. belting it out and it's just it's really beautiful actually. And yes. that's my favorite one. It's Al Roker's.
0: Well I, we will all continue to aspire to Al Roker's freedom. <laughs> the way that he felt so liberated As we singing. Should.
2: The more you know And that was more bass. The more The
0: more you know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Um, so you, after five, you were in Texas. You moved to Texas. Your family no, moved to- No, no. Oh. After
2: five, we moved to New York. My mom was at Columbia at the time. She was a Fulbright. So right. we moved to Columbia. We lived in her dorm for the, her last semester. Really? Yeah, we lived in her dorm for her last semester. And then after that last semester, my parents realized, oh, the we're not going back home anytime soon because there's an act yeah. of war. So we ended up moving. We lived in Connecticut- For about six, seven months. We moved to Memphis for two years. Wow. Yes. While they were trying to figure it out, figuring out whether or not we would go back home or not. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in Memphis that they decided okay, so America's our our home now. And um, we moved to Texas Mm -hmm. when I was eight. And that's where I spent my formative years. And I've always really respected my parents because, you know, everything that we had, by the time I left for college, they were homeowners. We all got. you know, this is just a typical suburban Texas upbringing and mm-hmm. um, they had worked so hard and everything that they earned in this country, they essentially got between 90 or early 91. February 91 is when we moved here to about 98, 99 is when they wow. had become homeowners and had set up this life for us and they remain just the most inspiring people I know. And so my... Yeah. Formative years were spent in Texas, um, about 20 miles north of Houston in a town called Spring. Spring Mm. was very small, very conservative, very white when I was raised there. It Mm. demographically changed after Katrina. but it would to become like more inclusive, more diverse. And like now spring yeah. is popping. I go to spring and I'm like, this is fun. <laughs> cool. <tip. laughs> and it was fun then, but it was fun in different ways. It was like fun in spite yeah. of the Confederate flag bumper stickers. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah. yeah there was a lot of that.
2: Yeah. Um, but I, so then from, I guess if we're going chronologically from Texas, I knew, even though I had, as I said before, a very enjoyable a really great time in high school. Um, I, I wanted to get out of Texas. I wanted to move to LA or New York. I wanted to perform. Mm-hmm. And so I was always younger um, and I started, I knew that I wanted to move. I, I, LA was like in the cards, but it was actually between U- USC and NYU. For my undergrad, mm-hmm. and I knew I was only going to to interview or audition at those two places, and so I auditioned for NYU when I was like 16. I did early decision. I was a, a senior. I was 16 years old when I was a senior in high school. Did the audition,
0: uh-huh.
2: got in early decision. So early
0: decision. Go, so got in when I was wow. 16.
2: Yeah, and so I ended up not completing my USC application. I accepted it. And then moved to moved to New York a couple months after I turned seventeen, and and then wow. that story. Okay, began.
0: I'm a I'm a I'm a pause you there because I'm just curious in terms of being in Texas and with your family and with this com this community that you were in. Um, how important was storytelling? Because as a writer, as an author, now you're telling stories, vivid stories. So yeah who were the storytellers whether in the neighborhood in the neighborhood or in the library that kept you engaged while you were growing up in Texas
2: um I read a lot of like Tolkien I I actually liked Stephen King back then Mm. um but I also liked like the teeny bop books like (laughs) Babysitter's Club and like R.L. Stein, uh-huh. things yes. Like that.
0: Babysitter's yeah. yes, I um, love so Goosebumps. I, yes,
2: yes. So I, 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 had a, a pretty, pretty broad taste in literature at the time, but but my, my core storytelling was from my parents and my aunts and uncles because they're the ones who gave me doses of home, um, and mm. I got to know back home and was always reacquainted with back home and stayed, stayed tethered to Liberia through their stories, and. Um, I had an uncle named Uncle Billy who was from Amarillo, Texas, and who would, he would you know tell me a whole lot, whole lot, whole lot about Texas, whole lot about everything that was going on in in, in America yeah. because we were new. You know what I mean? Yeah, we were new, true. so there were a lot of things that um, we certainly you know didn't 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 quite understand. We came to America with very immigrant sensibilities of America being mm. the world Emerald City and everything is great here. Um, And Uncle Billy gave a history because, you know, admittedly, when you come and you and you're like, well, we're able to do this We're we were able to like have a great life eventually. And America has Mm -hmm. proven to be good for us. And you don't always understand the plight of. Your brothers and sisters here, even though my, my dad always, yeah, my dad's yeah. a Pan Africanist, so I was raised hearing stories about Stokely Carmichael and Malcolm X, as well as mm-hmm. Kwame Nkrumah and Sekou Torre um, and Sekutore, those on the, on the continent. Yeah. I, I learned about black bodies wherever, but it was really Uncle Billy that gave some of those experiences that we were having context. Um, you know, if you get a stare at the at the store, it's not because you have food on your lip, it's because you're black. Um uh-huh. if you are getting uh-huh. followed around when you 're trying to buy jewelry it 's not because somebody wants to ask you for directions it 's because you 're black and mm-hmm. Uncle Billy was really wonderful for that and like um just giving us an education about how race functions in this country that a lot of black immigrants just don't they don 't always have that context so there 's like a there 's a lot of yeah. misunderstanding about you know what um about why we end up getting to where we end up getting to and it's like it's in spite of right institutional structures that are actually mm-hmm. against us you know what i mean yeah and so uncle billy was also a really important storyteller in my formative years
0: yeah shout out to uncle billy, uncle billy was
2: everything and uncle wayne That's... can't forget about uncle wayne he's from mississippi
0: uh-huh mm-hmm. I have an Uncle Wayne, too. So I was like,
2: Uncle Wayne. Yeah. Um, And that came about with, oh, and Grandpa Paul. So that came about with, we had family members who moved to America in like the 70s, 80s. My mom had a sister who moved here. My dad's brothers Mm. and sisters moved here. His stepmom moved here. And they all married African-Americans and so our family was very mixed in that way
0: yeah so i was
2: raised with both liberian sensibilities and african-american sensibilities um and we had like white family members as well through marriage
0: Ooh. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: okay um so (laughs) (laughs) so that is how i would say how that came how that came about
0: and so we were going into like You got accepted into NYU Early Decision, which that, to me, says a lot about your personality at that time, that you were one of those Early Decision kids. Because that means you were like, I know. I know that I know that I know that I want to go here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you went to NYU, Mm -hmm. Tisch School of the Arts. Mm -hmm. That's where we met.
1: Mm -hmm. Ah, ah, tishies. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And then I know you transferred. I did. So I'm really curious about that decision. You went to NYU and then transferred to Howard University. I did.
2: I did. So after my first year, I took a leave of absence and I was working. I was acting in like off-Broadway plays. I was modeling and doing different things in the city that interested me because after the first year, I, I, I genuinely was unsure of whether um, acting was all I wanted to do. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to just explore, took a leave of absence. So I started acting. Um, I wrote a show of my own and I guess we'll get back to that with the, with the 180 moment.
1: Um,
2: Uh but we, I wrote a show of my own and then, um, thereafter that experience with the show, with the play, I got really involved in nonprofits and nonprofit work, um, particularly in international development, particularly even more specifically, um, with West African countries and most specifically with Liberia. And so I then just shifted my focus. I wanted to study international development and African contexts. And I wanted to study it in a a black space, quite honestly, because everything that I had experienced um, since I was five years old had been just very potent white spaces. And I, yeah wanted to um initially i was like maybe i can go to school in ghana and i had been talking to my family about going to ghana or moving to liberia and mind you i was like 19 at the time
0: right 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 and my
2: and my parents emphatically answered no you're not moving to ghana (laughs) but you can go to howard and so right right. (laughs) and so and so i went to howard um it was also like dramatically less expensive as well and spent two years there um and it was just the best experience of, of one of the best experiences of my life because it really opened my eyes to different things. I was able to see myself, uh, see myself. It was a mirror in a lot of ways, yeah. um, because when you're a suburban girl or a southern girl and you're used to seeing yourself from the lens of whiteness, like it, it right. can contort um, your understanding of your identity and the mm-hmm. possibilities of your life and your trajectory. And so... How, Howard was wonderful. Message.
0: For, <laughs> that was a message. You were message. preaching. Yes. Uh,
2: so, so Howard was great for that. Um, and then after Howard, I actually, I, so, I, in, initial, so course to writing, I was, um, started doing applications for grad school, was accepted to Columbia's screenwriting program initially, the MFA program. And I decided that I actually wanted to study a, a more broad range of writing. And uh, USC had a program at the time that was multidisciplinary, where I could study screenwriting, but I could also study creative writing and nonfiction. And I put in an application there and got in. So I moved to LA to get a master's in creative writing, um, and spent some time in LA. Got my master's, moved back to New York, and mm-hmm. two- you move, you move, away. yeah, in 2009, and then. Two thousand nine was when you know I was I had returned to the city and I was back and just dibble dabbling in in a number of things. I would work at a nonprofit yeah. during the day, actually doing grant writing and development work, and then at night I wrote and I was finishing my novel at the time and developing what would later become um, my nonprofit.
0: Yes, one more. Bu- yes,
2: that's the chronology.
0: Mm, yeah, and so I'm gonna go back to. You're talking about your sh- your show, um, both because, like, I feel like I was around for some of that. Like, I knew about it, but I didn't know all all about it. Really? So, um, so was that, you mentioned that it was, like, one of your 180 moments. Is that your 180 moment that you wanted to discuss? That's
2: my 180 yeah. moment. It definitely is. It definitely is. So, I decided, I was, like I said, was acting in this, um, in various um, off-Broadway shows. And I remember thinking, I could do this. I could write something like this and put it up, mm-hmm. and just the hubris. I mean, I, I consider myself a pretty confident person <laughs> now, and I've always been fairly confident. But during this period, it was just like, I could, you know, I'm I'm gonna write so I'm gonna write a play and put it up.
0: Yes, and was it? It wasn't a one person show, right? It was uh...
2: no, it had a full cast. Right. So yeah. it was a play about. Uh, two sisters who lived in Harlem, well, a family of women who lived in Harlem after World War II and the different things that they were going through, sort of navigating their personalities and
1: mm-hmm.
2: and navigating some of the racial tensions and politics of love at the time. And I hired actors, coordinated rehearsals. Um, I booked a theater space. I was directing it. And I was had the nerve to be in it. <laughs> Wait. and wow. i produced it and i was doing all the things and pretty early on so i found investors for it too um it was downtown amazing. in manhattan do you
0: remember do you remember which theater
2: i do but i don't want to say it
0: oh okay 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 that's that's fine that's fine
2: <laughs> but it was like a 100 a and 108 180 seat theater okay um on like eight in astro on in the astro place area
0: yeah yeah so
2: we so i there was just a lot going on so we um opening night we had there there was a a lot of hype around this this uh Uh this project opening night there were we had had features in like the new york times and time out mm-hmm. new york and,
0: and this book before the before, before the play
2: opened it open said like come see this play by this like what <gasps> li- <laughs> by this Liberian texan you know playwright and you know it was just hype uh-huh. and open at night yes. all these seats in the theater and guess how many people were there
0: i'm gonna say 30 lower 15
2: lower 12 there were two people there no there were two oh. people there there were two people there yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly
0: oh, and it was did not it would not feel it good. was
2: supposed to run for seven weeks it ended up running for two
0: uh-huh. i
2: couldn't even pay the people who were working with us because like oh. the, these investors would promise all this money had pulled out um yeah. and it was it was a devastating experience So I I went to Houston, went back home and okay. I cried for about six months. And I remember mm. my parents telling me like, hey, you have to, my dad specifically, he was like, you have to go back to New York. You have to finish school, go I'm back fine. to NYU um, and you'll, you will figure it out. Like failure is sort of just a part of your journey, but it can't end your journey.
0: Right. absolutely. And
2: so I began to then reevaluate. Um. What my interests were, why was I so obsessed with performance? Why was it so important to me? Why was it the priority? Why mm. was that uh, attention essential to my understanding of self, right?
1: Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I realized that
2: it stemmed from insecurity. And once I did that work and overcame that insecurity, then performance began, became something that I do and can do and will return to at some point. But it yeah. is my life and my art, my artistry is not centered around me being in the spotlight um, yeah. anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that other performers obviously are performing for the same reasons that I was, but I recognized right. that the reasons that I that I was had um, very very selfish intent that came from a place of insecurity, and so once mm-hmm. I like deconstructed that, then it was like. You know, I love to perform, but that's not all I do. There are many other things that I want to do, many other things that I'm interested in, other yeah. things that and I will said, do. And you said
0: once you deconstructed that, so what What helped you? Because that is, that is the process that it's like, wow, how did you figure that so out? So I, I started to go to, to
2: church with my parents again. I did get involved mm. with um, this nonprofit called the Liberian Education Organization, um, mm-hmm. where I was helping them with grant writing and organizing and then it decentered me and my interests, and it and my interest. Then it was outward. Like what, what are people doing? What do people need outside of me? Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: that's really what helped me. And then that sort of severed into the interest in international development. And um, I writing sort of eclipsed all of the other things that I was interested in because my artistry is really storytelling. And that happens yeah. Um, on a number There's of so platforms. So I've, I mm-hmm. am currently writing this season of my life, but performance isn't gone. I will yeah. absolutely return to it. And I suspect it'll probably be something I write, maybe for TV, maybe for film that I end up performing in. Um, mm-hmm. But writing is something that I wanted to indulge then and something that I wanted to conquer and explore. And I'm, I've been blessed enough to do that fully. Um, but I also I do entirely plan to explore other faces of my artistry. And mm-hmm. it was that point in my life that played that experience of failure, because up until then, everything had kind of worked out in the ways mm-hmm. that I wanted it to, that I was was humbled into knowing what was possible and realized that my ideas for myself and my life, even though I thought that they were expansive, were actually pretty narrow, right?
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: And... Um, oh,
0: that's that's really powerful because I I I I personally can say, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, it's got to look this way. And if it doesn't look this way, then I guess, you know, then I don't want it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, no, you can be so much more expansive. And that's everything from what a career in the arts looks like. Cause many of us grow up and are like, okay, I want to be that guy that's on TV or I want to be that type of basketball player. or I want to be, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, well you could be a teaching artist yeah. that also works with, you know, a nonprofit that builds your own, you know, you can, there's so many yeah. ways that uh, ideally you can feel fulfilled that aren't immediately uh, the most visible or the most um, celebrated, by society
2: and it's hard you know to be fair it is it is genuinely difficult you know what i mean because we all we all um i think we we have all swallowed the Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: kool-aid
2: of what our lives are supposed to look
0: like yeah
2: and so being an individual when it comes to your trajectory that's actually that's actually a feat like really yeah. carving out what's for you, really determining what you want, um, really stripping yourself of ego, and trying to find um, the reasons for why our insecurities exist, and carving a life yeah. that that doesn't include those insecurities. It's
0: it's, it's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hallelujah,
1: <laughs> that's
0: that's a word because there's so much that we do to to i mean not just us but society as well as ourselves that are placing on these expectations these expectations of what our life should look like and mm-hmm. and how it should go and it is a very specific and individual process to allow for life to look differently and to find ease and intentionality at the same time around, no, I'm creating my life and I can change my mind Mm -hmm. and it can look differently than it did 10 minutes ago, you know, four years ago. And that is all a part of the process. Thank you for sharing that. And as having learned the lessons that you learned from that specific failure that then became an opportunity to grow and expand, what would you say, to, yeah, what would your advice be for to someone who is experiencing that type of failure at this moment, th- that type of challenge?
2: Um, what would my advice be? I would say like don't don't shy away from the ego work. You know what I mm. mean? Like really trying yeah, yeah, to figure yeah. out why why we operate the way we operate, why we want the things we want. You know who who trained you? Mm. Like who who educated you? What educated you, right? what what, what was the architect of your insecurities? How much power have you given that architect? Mm-hmm. And how can you go about disarming that architect? You know what I mean? Yes. Like that it's yes. hard work. It's hard work, and sometimes, it takes a dramatic failure sometimes it isn't you know Mm -hmm. you can think that you're doing the work and not sometimes it takes just falling flat and falling flat whether it's professionally or falling flat personally um Mm -hmm. that is the catalyst for the work but it's required because so many of us function off of yeah off of insecurities and off of like wanting to prove ourselves wrong or prove the world wrong and mm. and what kind of life is that to live like orbiting around someone else's perspective of you as opposed to really really digging into life and trying to figure out like what like like what why am i here because that's the only question that's important not what do they think but why am yeah. i here you know what i mean
1: yeah.
2: um and so i would say you know you know try to do the work try to deconstruct the ego and try to determine um, the architect, the true architect for your ambitions and, mm-hmm. and make sure it's you. Make sure you're the ones who, you're the one who has designed the course of your life and it isn't mm-hmm. a parent or right. a society or someone's rejection. Um, like make sure it's you. And I think once you do the work and you know, if it wasn't you making it you, you, you sort of, you know, assuming that role um yeah then it could just be so beautiful and vast in ways that you haven't even imagined And my world in many ways opened up Mm -hmm. it opened up when I realized like oh the the reason that a stage is so important to me is because of this so now I'm free enough to say at some point I'm gonna go back to performance but not right now it's just not, it's not what I'm interested in doing right now, but it is an interest of mine. And it'll right. come because I've been in conversation with God and I've been in conversation with the universe and I know that it'll mm-hmm. come. I'm certain that it will. Um, right. It's more or less just a matter of when and, and, and mostly when I'm ready. Um, mm-hmm. But I think having those conversations is just so important and we avoid it because those conversations yes. are scary. Heart, they're yeah. scary. They're scary, they're yeah. scary they're scary because we have to admit that we have been someone else other things outside of us have been in control
0: yeah yeah Ooh, wow you Ooh. you just uh, <laughs> I don't really, I press <laughs> because, wow that's it's powerful it's re- really powerful and um and necessary in helping me <laughs> in ways so i know it's helping our listeners too I want to chat a little bit before we wrap up Uh about uh, one more book. Uh Um, It encourages, it's your nonprofit that you started with your siblings. It encourages reading among children of countries with low literacy, literacy rates and within underrepresented cultures. What prompted you to start this nonprofit and specifically with your siblings?
2: Yeah, I definitely wanted to create a space uh, where, because my industry obviously is literature and there, there are a lot of issues with my industry. Um, you know, I spoke before about white spaces and it's definitely that, mm-hmm. and that it is not as inclusive as it can be. And so wanting to create a space for children specifically to see themselves in books I did start with my siblings, and they were, and they were more or less just like, okay, we got your back. And then, you uh-huh. know, as the years went on, they were like, this is your thing. Like, take my name off of this. Right. <laughs> and so, um, I it it, it 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 just made me so happy. We published, we opened a bookstore, which unfortunately during COVID I closed down. I went through a process mm. of shedding skin, um, and wow. I closed that down. So right now, one more book's principal function is. Um, is a, uh, we we advocate, work with ministries of education to get mm. uh, books and curriculum that are culturally sensitive into public schools in the countries where we operate. So that's been a total blessing as well. Yeah.
0: And that, I mean, it is amazing. I, I remember,
2: mm-hmm.
0: was it 2011 when you started it? Mm-hmm. 2011. And I remember you talking about it and I was like, yes, 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 we need it is so important that people can, uh, that black people specifically can see themselves in the things that they're reading and that we encourage literacy and that we don't just, you know, say, okay, well, in the African-American community, it's like, wait, let's, the pan-African community, like, how are we contributing to that as well? Mm -hmm. So I am so grateful and admire that you, oh, the fact that you even opened a store, a bookstore, is is incredible. Thank you. And that it's continuing in different ways that are going to is that is continuing to affect people around the world is really really beautiful and admirable. So, we end with a quote that I just want to get your response to and then we'll we'll wrap up. So, here's this quote. Freeing yourself was one thing. Claiming ownership of that freed self was another. And that's a quote from Toni Morrison from Beloved. One word. One word.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Eric. This was a fun conversation.
0: Yeah. And just the fact that that quote specifically talks about freeing yourself. And that's really what I feel like your 180 was. It was freeing yourself from whatever, like you said, was it society? Was it a parent? You know, whatever it was that was dictating that your life should look one way um and is really freeing yourself and owning owning your freed self and saying i'm making the choice i'm in the driver's seat so i love that so yeah, far no from.
2: problem no problem
0: so we want to make sure that our listeners stay connected with you so if you want to stay connected with wyatt too, uh you can find her on instagram at Wayetu spelled w-a-y-e-t-u and uh, definitely, if you have not purchased it, oh, you you can go to the library too. You ain't got to purchase. It. I'm not. I'm not gonna force that. But you should certainly get her novel. She would be king. Get her memoir. The dragons, the giant, the women. And let me tell you, why you too. My mother loved. She would be king. Wow. She read it and I was like, oh, and I was like, that's. what I mean, I I bought it for her for Christmas. Yeah. But um she loved it thank and she was like that's your friend thank you and i was like yeah that's my that's friend." that's awesome thank uh, you yeah. thank you so yes, much give absolutely. your mom a
2: big hug for me
0: <laughs> i will but i'm so grateful for you so proud thank of you, you. And thank you for taking the time to to chat with us today but yes and give river a hug for I me. Will. and i will i hope to see you at some point i know point in we have NYC. to connect
2: we have to connect i'm around yeah. so just give me a text send me a text all right cool okay take care take care i'll see you later all right, bye
0: Thank you all for joining us. The 180 is produced by David Treatman with audio production and editing by Mike Luno. Original music composed by Jarrett Landon and sung by yours truly and digital portraits by Byron McRae. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. We need your help to spread the love and inspiration. Follow us on all social media at The 180 Pod and visit our website at www.the180pod.com. If you want to help support these stories, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You can get access to chat more with me. You can also get exclusive content, merchandise, and you can hear episodes early. Visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com the180pod. Until next time, I'm your host, Eric Lockley. Take care and be blessed
1: know that you'll have a blessing
0: if you just keep on pressing
1: don't stop keep going you can turn it around the 180 yes it's a big change the 180 your life won't be the same the 180 you can do it say yes to your beautiful future the 180 yeah